is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up in the next hour, the fire conditions easing for the Ducks Creek fire in the Pilliga State Forest, uh, but the impacts on farmers yet to be tallied. But in uh, other drought-affected areas, there was a bit of joy with the rain in the Hunter region particularly. Well, I was very excited when I measured my rain gauge, looked at my rain gauge this morning, find 56 mils. I was so excited because earlier in the afternoon I'd been up feeding my horses outside Murundi and had 10 spots on me, but driving through town there was water on the road and then the storms came. So I thought that was a lovely Christmas present. We'll hear more about uh, the rain in the Hunter shortly, but uh, we're also going to hear from the National Party leader, Dougal Saunders, who's saying that the interest rate on the government's new Drought Ready and Resilience Fund is way too high. And uh, as I said before, you can always send us a text here on the country at 0467 922 That's the number to text me here at the country hour. But first up, let's look at the rain because uh, the champagne was probably flowing in parts of the Upper Hunter where decent rain fell overnight. For some, the biggest falls in more than one year. The Weather Bureau recorded more than 60 millimetres at Scone since those storms began yesterday afternoon. Moon and Flat officially got 46 84 up at the barrington tops some private gauges though around gundy caught 105 millimeters but again it was all very patchy as the drought hit regions cry out for some follow-up rain farmgate peer support worker pam seckham told amelia bernasconi about how her excitement soon waned realizing that not everyone like her had been so lucky well i was very excited when i measured my Rain gauge, looked at my rain gauge this morning, find 56 mils. I was so excited because earlier in the afternoon I'd been up feeding my horses outside Murundi and had 10 spots on me, but driving through town there was water on the road and then the storms came. So I thought that was a lovely Christmas present. Sadly, it's because of the nature of the rain, it was actually storms and lots of people have missed out or not got very much. It's so scattered. My, my next door neighbour, literally my next door neighbour, and it got 40-something. I heard um, Gandhi got 105. I heard Moonan got 20. I heard Cashless had four or six or something. So, you know, the rain, the nice thing about it is it proves it still can rain. And so it's not like 2019 all over again. And the sad part for some people is uh, they want a lot more. Mm. Because for those who got it, I mean, we have been holding out, waiting for this follow-up after those storms, again, very patchy that we got at the end of November, very early December. You know, we've been waiting for the heavens to open again for a bit of follow-up. So for those who did get it, uh, you know, it does take a lot of pressure off over the next few weeks. It does, and and it helps. I mean, what we're essentially, I suppose, in a green drought, really, across the Upper Hunter, but it does mean where there's a green pick, it can now keep growing and it'll go like mad with the pop-ups. So for those who'd had rain and, well, I suppose everyone had something last time as well, but it was so varied. But for those who did get rain this time, and I gather Scone was sort of the epicentre of the rain pretty much, uh, those around here, it'll give a boost and they will get some more growth out of the green pick that they had and, and it will give them relief. And I think rain always lifts people's spirits just shows it still can rain. Not that inevitable every day with the sun beating down that we saw 2019, 2020. 
You know, I, I saw a farmer not so long ago and he had 20 mils overnight and the change in his demeanour was outstanding. He had a smile on his face, even though 20 mils is not going to break a drought. It's going to be so much better for the spirits that it is raining. Like you said before, sometimes we just need a reminder that it can rain and it will rain again. Um, but with with those patchy storms last night, a lot of, of course, was thunderstorms. There was lots of lightning about. We did see a couple of spot fires, and those were probably the areas, unfortunately, that, that had you know the the two and three mils rather than the uh, double digits. Yes, I was um, talking to someone that's involved with the RFS uh, today, and uh, there were spot fires, lightning, dry lightning strikes. The good news, I suppose, is that I think pretty much all of them then got rain on top of them around here, around the Upper Hunter. So they kept an eye on those fires, but it, it, um, I think it's reasonably quiet on the fire front, reasonably quiet in mm. this area, and so hopefully they'll might get some decent time off at Christmas. Yeah, let's hope so, and let's hope everyone feeding gets a bit of time off at Christmas too if there has been yeah, a little bit of feed coming through over the last few weeks. And here's hoping that 2024... The taps don't stay off. Yeah, well, let's put that a positive spin, that the taps remain on mm-hmm. and that they, they kind of share a bit more so that, that everyone can have the thrill that I do when I check my rain gauge this morning. Pam Seckham from Blandford in the Upper Hunter. She's uh, Upper Hunter's farm gate peer support worker and she was talking there to Amelia Bernasconi. So uh, the uh, rain, a bit patchy, but uh, some people got a lot of it, so they're pretty thankful for that. Gundy, around the Gundy area, some of the rain gauges there, over 100 millimetres. Well, turning to other parts of the state now and uh, the fire conditions of ease for the Duck Creek fire in the Pilliga State Forest near Narrabri. In fact, uh, looking at uh, the latest information from the uh, RFS, they're saying that fire has now been, the status has been moved to being controlled. It has burnt through um, 129,000 hectares, though, so uh, obviously got some good rain on it last night. Now, the, imp- the impacts to farmers, livestock and those sorts of things, those impacts are yet to be tallied. Uh, livestock losses, of course, remain unknown, but honey producers who utilise the Pilliga Forest now need to find new areas for their bees. Steve Fuller is the president of uh, Crop Pollination Association of Australia, and he told Lara Webster while the majority of hives were moved out of the Pilliga, there will be an impact to pollination resources. With the association, we've got some members who are caught up in now, like in the actual area out there. Um, I'm of the understanding some bees have perished in the fires, um, just too risky to go in and get them out before um, before while well, safe. But uh, most of the bees have been removed. Okay, so from what you understand so far, not not huge numbers of bees. That's correct. Yeah, it's like what I've been told is only about two hundred to three hundred hives. While it's good news that, you know, generally, hopefully most of the bees were removed, we know the Pilliga is such an important asset uh, for honey production. Let's just take a look at that. And and this fire is huge. It's caused a lot of destruction to the Pilliga. What impact will that have for for people who do take their bees to the Pilliga? Well, you're right in saying it is a huge forest. It's a massive area. And one of the biggest problems we have with beekeeping is uh, resources. Uh, therefore, like um, when we lose a forest, um, that, that puts a lot of strain on other forests then. 
Um, we now also have like droughts or very hot conditions, which is making the trees uh, not produce as well. But when we come to fires, we, we usually say we've got a, like a coal fire or a low fire, which usually just like it impacts the ground uh, flora and things like that. But that fire out there at the moment is burning the tops of the trees, so it's destroying everything. And that could mean that that forest now is no good for beekeeping or anything else for up to 10 years, maybe even longer. It's a huge forest, but they haven't got the fire out yet. And that's the thing. How much further is it going to burn? Like, um, this is what we need to do. Like, um, we're seeing with the fires in 2019, 2020, like, the, the area that they covered was phenomenal, uh, the impact. And we're only just starting to get back into some of those forests now. When you put on top of that, Steve Fuller, and we've you know, heard a great deal from you uh, in the last couple of years and, and last 12 months of Varroa, as well as we've had quite a lot of fires in other forests, how does all of that come together? What's the domino effect at the moment for the industry? Well, yeah, we go right back to 2019 when fires started. Um, look, usually... Um, well, we've been beekeeping for over 40 years, and we thought, oh, we'll be safe, we'll move our bees somewhere else, and then the, the fire started there. In the end, um, it was a severe impact. Then the rain come, we thought, oh, beauty, the rain's come. But we didn't just get rain, we got floods on the, the mid-north coast. And we thought, okay, we're just over that. Then we got the major floods at Lismore. Uh, not one, but two major floods. We think we're over that. Then we get Varroa. Now, here's the problem. When we can't get the places to build our bees, it affects a lot of pollination. And this is food security. Um, people sort of go, oh, just honeybees, they're just honey. It's not. They, they actually fertilise one in every three mouthfuls of food that we eat. So if we look at the pillager and the fire there, plus mm-hmm. all of the history we've just spoken about, what options does that leave for those producers who are relying on areas like the Pilliga? Um, we've got to look further abroad. We've also got to turn around and um, at the moment we can't go across um, borders because of the um, bromite. We're, we're in serious trouble that way. Yeah, until the borders open up. Uh, but just trying to find another resource. Like, it's, it's not something we can go and plant against. It's not something we can go and do this or go and do that. It's replacing... Resources is most probably the hardest thing within beekeeping. President of Crop Pollination Association of Australia, Steve Fuller, talking there to Lara Webster. Now, on that Duck Creek fire, uh, local land services uh, reminding everyone they're working closely with New South Wales DPI to prepare for any support that's needed for impacted landholders. You can call the Agricultural and Animal Services hotline on 1800 814 647 to request animal assessment and welfare assistance. That's 1800 814 647. 1800 814 Six four seven for animal assessment and welfare assistance, and uh, there's also a few evacuation centres open in the region as well. It's coming up to sixteen minutes past twelve on the country hour. Well, let's stay with the rain because a rain cell that fell across the far west of New South Wales has saved one local grazing family from fully destocking their station. 
51 millimetres of rain fell on Tuesday afternoon at Allendy Station, 240 kilometres northeast of Broken Hill. Georgina Luckraft told Sarah McConnell that she and her husband Terry had made the heartbreaking decision to destock and the first rain in the year, well, she says it's virtually saved their business. So we just had to stop drafting sheep for a little while because there was a lot of lightning and stuff coming in and windy and, yeah, the weather was looking a bit ominous. So, yeah, everybody went and um, put their feet up for a while and next minute, uh, yeah, before we knew it, there was just over 50 mils of rain in the gauge. Was it predicted? Not that I know of, no, I don't think so. It might, there may have been storm cells or something, but there was definitely no no, no big storms that we knew of. All up, how much did you get? Uh, we got 51 mils at the moment. I think there's, it, there's still stuff around, but yeah, that, I'm hoping and assuming that was the bulk of it. When was the last time you had rain? Um, we, we haven't really measured anything over like maybe two or three mil. I think our highest was about seven mil. Um, for the most of this year, best part of the year. With 51 mil of rain, how has that saved you? Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely changed things, apart from completely ruining shearing, which has been a bit of a schmozzle anyway, um, which we don't care about. We're happy to ruin, <laughs> ruin whatever we need to if that means that much rain. Um, we had all our cattle were heading off early in the new year. Um, yeah, everything was coming off. We've got rid of... Uh, we had adjustment on we have had on for a couple or several years now and it's yeah it's just gone backwards so so quickly in the last couple of months and everything has gone off and all of our own stuff was heading off as well so yeah from I don't know one day booking trucks and pretty much destocking waiting for hay trucks to come in so that we could wait and get them strong enough to truck out and now they'll all be staying home so yeah it's absolutely life-changing. Champagne popping? Oh, I shall say so. Yes, I think so. I'm I'm in town, so I'm going to go straight to the Bodolo and, um, yeah, enjoy. Looking back, though, over the last year, you've got three young kids, a husband, you're running a station, which is your livelihood. People might not understand, but you won't make money if you have to destock. So how hard is that decision to make, to have to fully destock a station? Oh, it's, um, it's heartbreaking, you know, and you I mean, this is the industry that we love, and so you're there. You're there for the animals. You're there for the lifestyle. And when the the whole point of what what you're there for starts to um, unravel, it yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And to know, you know, we sort of get to the point that we're like, if we don't get, we need to get them out while they're still in good enough condition to to be fit and well and travel and and those sorts of things as well. Um, obviously, with commodities the way that they've been, getting rid of them is also financially. Um, you know, such a huge hit because they're just not worth what they sort of have been. Um, so it's not like you're even selling them for decent money, especially with cattle at the moment. But, um, yeah, so massive, massive um, undertaking and, you know, it's heartbreaking to have to make those decisions, especially for a business business decisions when you've got bills to pay and stuff. But, like I said, this has just, you know, obviously saved our, saved our business a lot. But... Um, yeah, for people, there's, you know, it's so, there's those storm cells, and this is what's been happening, I suppose, is that people are getting these massive big falls one at a time, and, and now it just starts to, to fill in the gaps a little bit. We've been missing out and watching other people have storms, and then, and now the next time it'll be someone else's turn. But yeah, we're just so, so grateful after watching them go around and around each time, and you're like, when is it my turn? And um, yeah, this is just amazing for us. So yeah, couldn't be, couldn't be happier. 
With the runoff, will that fill the house tank and dam surrounding and have creeks running? Uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully we'll have a fair bit of um, of water caught from all of that and um, we're sort of on creek lines and um, further up, like neighbours upstream have also had about an inch of rain. So, um, yeah, there'll definitely be a creek and stuff coming down and fingers crossed it fills, fills most, of, most of it. Um, we've done a heap of earthworks and stuff while it has been dry, just getting getting ready so that as soon as it did rain, we could catch as, mo- as much as we possibly could. Um, so, yes, those earthworks are all doing what they're meant to be doing. Um, hopefully, yeah, we'll have a lot of water to get us through, which, you know, that lasts a year or, or possibly two years, really. If, um, if we don't have any more falls on it now, that'll waterproof us for about two years. Georgina Luckcraft from Allenby Station, 240 kilometres northeast of Broken Hill, with some good news there about the rain and not needing to fully destock the station as they had first feared. She was speaking there to Sarah McConnell, and we've been reliably informed that the champagne was flowing last night. It's 21 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. Well, to the flooding in Queensland now, the not-so-welcome rain. Landholders say they're experiencing livestock losses due to exposure with wet, cold and windy weather still continuing in far north Queensland. Graziers at Mountain View Station near Lakeland, uh, Joy Marriott, she says that young cattle are starting to die on top of significant infrastructure damage that they're seeing as well. She says it's a huge blow to a community that's already been tested. Probably got a 20 kilometre hour wind coming from the northeast, shifting back to the east. And um, yeah, it's, we've had a clear morning, not not clear skies, overcast, but at least you can see the hills. And um, but yeah, it started to rain again and looks pretty heavy. Mm. Is that making you feel nervous, Joy? Oh yeah, we're pretty resigned now. We've um, starting to lose cattle from the exposure and. Yeah, yesterday was sort of if it had cleared up, we might have pulled through. But, yeah, the people are losing stuff. And the, when you see, you know, unprecedented amounts of native animals just dying from the exposure, you know, there's dead possums falling out of trees and and the wallabies and the big old eastern greys. And, yeah, it just makes you sad. You've had a phenomenal amount of rain, Joy. Uh, have you been able to measure it all? Yes. yes, we've had 863 mil from the start. Just before it started raining, we had a gigantic bushfire coming in from the conservation areas next door up in the mountains and we were sort of focused on fighting fires and um, then it started to rain and, like, you know, we, everyone's happy that, that the fires are out and we don't, we've been fighting fires for four, four months now on and off and um, glad to see the rain and... Um, yeah, well, that's just life on the land. It, it's pretty harsh, but uh, just hoping there's not worse to come. Livestock losses, uh, I imagine, weigh heavily on you. What about infrastructure losses? Oh, yeah, we you can replace them. Some of the walls have, have um, been washed through and obviously floodgates, but as I said, that's not a problem. And, and of course, roads washed out. And Yeah, we, nearly, we actually nearly got got washed off one of our dam overflows the other day in the buggy so we're sort of 
bit wary about going anywhere until it all, um, you know, subsides. Yeah, which, as you say, as of uh, lunchtime today, it very much is not over. You've still got uh, wind and rain there. The Lakeland community is a productive ag hotspot. How are others in your community going? How are banana farmers faring? Yeah, well, any, anyone who's got livestock, um, yeah, they're the same. And, and, and we're, we're up in the mountains at the head of the catchment, so we're probably faring a bit better than people, you know, on the river flats and further down where there's been flooding. And I was talking to one of the growers the other day, yesterday morning, I think it was, and they reckon they'd lost about 20,000 plants. But obviously with the prolonged, prolonged wet soil there's going to be more they just fall over you know and and with this wind it's just really it's not 20 k's not really strong but just relentless and um i've been here 30 something years and one year you know we had a drought break in sort of end of january and it rained for two weeks but it was warm it wasn't um it wasn't cold like it's cold which is quite different usually a cyclone around it's that hot you can hardly move so another day of watching the rain come down. Are you all going to be okay? Well, we, you know, there's always positives. And, and um, yeah, we had a little baby donkey born last night and his dad's called Jasper, so we can't call him Jasper. He'll be Jasper Jr. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. Congratulations. He's here and um, his mum made it through the, through the cyclone and thank goodness. And, yeah, she's all good and he's all good. And, yeah, we're happy to see that little fire. Joy Marriott is a grazier from Mountain View Station near Lakeland and she was speaking there with Amy Phillips. You're listening to The Country Hour, 26 minutes past 12 on The Country Hour. And we're getting a few texts in about the rain uh, and uh, David Trundles texted in to say uh, season's greetings to all of us here at The Country Hour. Thanks for that. And uh, also he's saying 11 millimetres of rain today at Trundle, although it was more than expected, but uh, still it's uh, not too much, but better than nothing, says Dave. And Don at Dubbo says 17 millimetres at Dubbo. He says it's the highest fall they've had there since the 4th of July. Uh, but Don says they're hoping for lots more follow-up rain, so uh, pretty dry at Dubbo as well. On the country hour, it's 27 minutes past 12. Well, flour mills were once an economic status symbol for regional towns, but now only a handful still remain, and uh, they also are only remaining to turn that wheat into a cook staple as well. At Young in southern New South Wales, that 130-year tradition of, uh, wheat, of wheat and flour mills continues. Emily Doak has this report. Inside the young roll of flour mill, there's a whir of machines as wheat has moved through a series of rollers and sifters, eventually filling the flour packet with a swish. As quail mill manager Gary Douglas explains, this mill is capable of producing about four tonnes of flour an hour. We mainly produce softer type flours. Uh, we do some pizza flour as well. Uh, we are capable of doing baker's flour. Different flours, different wheats are called for and uh, yeah, all our grain comes from the local, local area uh, around the Bribri, uh, Wadalian area, uh, some around Thadugra. Uh, we have a group of farmers there that, um, yeah, we have a very good relationship with. And I guess across many um, agricultural supply chains now, we're seeing a real push towards sustainability and being able to demonstrate that from paddock right through to consumer. How's that 
play out in a uh, grain supply chain that you operate here at the Young Mill? That's where we sort of introduce that with our farmers and, uh, you know, we have regular meetings and talk, you know, how do we give something back? Yeah, all to do with regeneration, like uh, is, there, is there any land that we can uh, utilise for wildlife, uh, the way that we, you know, use chemicals, all that sort of thing and uh, all of that process through sustainability is audited and, you know, it's looked after in a proper way to ensure that, yeah, future generations have got land uh, to use. This little mill here in um, Young in southern New South Wales, it's got quite a rich history. It's been milling flour here for a long time, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the original mill was built in 1888. So the local baker would have been buying his flour from the local flour mill. And I think that's why it's important that uh, you know, Young still having its little old flour mill. I think it's a pretty unique thing. And, uh, think we'll be here for another hundred years and uh, this little uh, mill will continue to grow. University of Technology Sydney Professor of Public History Paul Ashton says as the grain belt developed, flour mills popped up in regional towns. He says they're a dynamo of development with more than 800 of them across the state. For example, if in the 1860s or 70s you rode your horse or drove your carriage into a town, if you didn't see a substantial flour mill, you knew you were in a town that wasn't going anywhere. And the best towns had uh, flour mills that were actually bigger than their church steeples. Um, they were absolutely fundamental to, to growth and people were very proud of having them. What changed throughout the last 140 years or so that have seen the demise of many of these? With the development of roller milling in the 1850s and 60s and the spread of railways, you get grain starting to be brought back into big regional centres or into places like Sydney, which had a bit of a, a stranglehold in the end on uh, some of these industrial developments. And so you get the demise of... Um, of small regional mills. There was a, get, a Royal Commission into wheat and flour milling in, in the 1930s depression and there were about 132 mills, flour mills that were deemed to be economically viable and functional at that time. 1960, it had dropped to about 130. 1970, that number had dropped to about 87. And today, we've probably got about a dozen corporate mills that run the bulk of the flour milling industry in Australia. He says while the milling might have ceased, many of these old mill buildings are still a driver of economic growth. It is very um, heartening, however, to see a lot of the older mills, um, some of the more um, beautiful old stone mills have been turned into um, restaurants and recreational facilities and have, have been reused, so they haven't been demolished but they've been preserved. So that industrial heritage has now become, I think, a significant and growing part of regional economic revitalisation. As UTS Professor Paul Ashton, and you can get a sneak peek inside the Young Roller uh, Flour Mill in the story on the ABC uh, Riverina website. And uh, when was the last time maybe you made some bread yourself? And I'm not talking about that fad a few years ago with the overnight bread machines, but actually grinding the wheat and making a loaf from scratch. Well, Velia O'Hare from Beckham rang in to ABC Riverina to talk about it this morning. We've always eaten wholemeal bread and it got to the stage where it was 
pretty horrible at the supermarkets and I was always wanting to make my own... Well, I've made my own bread at times over the years. And, um, yeah, and I just decided that I wanted to do the sourdough and then grind our own wheat and, you know, have all the... Um, all the bugs in the sourdough from our exact area here. I grind about um, eight, 1.8 kilos for my three loaves for the week. So, yeah, um, grind it just before I make it so it's super fresh. It's all, all uh, electric and I have, a, I have a dough mixer as well now. Yeah, most people like it because it's nice and nutty and, you know, flavour's amazing. So there you go. Do you make your own bread? Uh, and uh, that's Vilia O'Hare from Beckham who swears by it. Sourdough, they reckon, the uh, the health experts reckon that's definitely the way to go. So she's from Beckham uh, and she was calling in talking about making your own bread on ABC Riverina. You might uh, let us know if you do it yourself. Uh, you can send us a text. 0467 is the number to text me here at the country. We're also getting some rainfall figures as well, so I'll go through them. A little bit later on, but uh, it's time to get uh, the news first up now with Adam's story. You make your own bread, obviously you're laughing. I've got a bread recipe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. I don't make my own anything. (laughs) My own misery. (laughs) Um, Don't even know how to turn the stove on. You know how to turn the stove on or the microwave. Yeah, got a new one of those actually the <laughs> yeah, other day. Okay. Well, no, actually, <laughs> you got one second hand one off second the neighbours. <laughs> it's a fancy one. <laughs> well, there you go. You're yeah. going all right then. Actually That's holds good. The big plates. This one. Oh, That's good. Yeah. Gee whiz, yeah. hey. Well, the amount of things you can heat up in that thing is just, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so we won't we won't get uh, get you on talking about food food issues. No, then. no, no, no. no. It's, uh, I eat to survive, basically. Yeah, uh, it's just fuel. It's just fuel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Australia is considering uh, sending more defence personnel to the Middle East. This is part of the effort to counter the Houthi attacks on shipping through the Red Sea. Now, Australia has been um, among countries who've been asked to actually send warships, but uh, Australia seems hesitant to do that. Um, There's been no commitment from the Prime Minister. He's been asked about this a number of times. Uh, but he said they are obviously uh, they will consider it, but their position is clear that uh, uh, the priority for Australian shipping is sort of in our region and not really in the Middle East. Uh, a court in the U.S. state of Colorado, and this is an interesting one, has declared Donald Trump is disqualified. I saw this yeah. from appearing on the ballot for the <clears throat> primary. Yeah, to begin with, uh, and the election itself. Uh, Now, the Colorado Supreme Court found that the former president was ineligible to hold public office because of a section of the U.S. Constitution banning someone from doing so if they've previously sworn an oath but then engaged in insurrection, i.e. the January 6th attack. Uh, Donald Trump has described the decision as completely flawed and he will appeal to the U.S. uh, Supreme Court. Mm, And they'll probably fast-track it as well. Because that has implications for all the states. Well, they're saying that it could uh, prompt other states to to launch similar cases. Mm, So the Supreme Court will have to decide. Yeah, whether to... I mean, they're they're already hearing the the Jack Smith case has already been sped up into the Supreme Court as yeah, well, that's which, right. is, which yeah. is about election interfering. Yes. So yeah, I mean, it's all happening now. In a busy few months. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe even quicker. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, the uh, back home, the Royal Fire Service is expecting favourable, uh, more favourable conditions today as they work to contain blazes in the northwest. The Pilliga State Forest, obviously, is the big one out there, with uh, one hundred and twenty thousand hectares burnt. That's now been downgraded to advice 
level, and obviously the rain has helped that. Uh, at the other end of the scale, mass evacuations underway for a second day in the far north of Queensland. Uh, the Defence Force yesterday chopped about 100 people out of the Woodgill Woodgill community, uh, and more are being flown out today with uh, two Chinooks uh, in operation out there. And the state's police commissioner has issued another road safety warning with three people killed this morning uh, on the uh, Camilleroy Highway near yeah, Gunnar. Oh, yeah, driving out injured, taken to hospital yeah. for testing. And the police commissioner says that takes the road toll for the year to 352. Mm. Um, mm. And it's already looking bad for the holiday period. So mm. I seem to be going backwards in that regard. Yeah, that's right. It's quite, uh, with the, yeah, the worst, yeah. the worst for a long time now. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we'll be listening uh, for the latest news at one o'clock. Thanks for that. And a bread recipe. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, sourdough, flour, I reckon. Water, sugar. <laughs> so, no, well, sourdough, you've got to let it sit for a long time. Do they reckon that's definitely health-wise? I yeah, mean, I was yeah, reading oh, I love a bit of sourdough. Yeah, it's the way to go, they Except say. it's toasted and it yeah. cuts the roof of your mouth. And they say don't have, and I was reading something in the New York Times, they were saying don't, don't have all the... The bits and pieces, the um, uh, you know, the multigrain. Don't have that. That's the, actually not that great for you. So mm. yeah, it's better to just have straight, so, straight sourdough. Uh, so she could have been eating white bread all these years. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See, yeah. we're doing the wrong thing. You told it was healthy and it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. I knew. I knew. You knew I it. Knew, I knew. I knew that oh, there was yeah, a war. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Get back to your microwave. It's uh, 22 minutes to one here on the country. Let's find out what's happening with the weather. And Juan Park at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So extremely good rain in many areas. I mean, it uh, seems to have put the dampener on that fire as well. They've taken it back to watch and act now, and uh, they say they're getting that fire under control. But um, in the Hunter Valley, up to 100 millimetres, a lot of, out, out far west, they got at least 50 or 60 millimetres at some of those pastoral stations. People saying they didn't really expect to get this much rain, Juan. So it's, uh, it's a welcome thing. Yeah, it's a welcome thing, but on the other hand, the rainfall figure, as you said, in the Hunt, upper Hunter area was uh, particularly high, uh, as well as uh, some parts of uh, the Illawarra. That was, uh, they, these figures uh, reaching up to 90 or close to 100 uh, were all because of uh, slow-moving storms in the area. And uh, while we, we do uh, slow-moving storms uh, following one after another, we call it a training of uh, storms or showers. So they're uh, hard to predict, aren't they? You just don't that, know. Right. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. We can only uh, now cast uh, as things develop. And uh, well, but given that you know we have got a mobile trough currently lying across the northeast and interacting with such a moist air mass, well, such a rainfall figure uh, is still possible. Although I would say isolated rather than widespread, uh, because other parts of the state generally generally receive the widespread 20 to 40 millimeters rather than 70 to 90. So given that, I guess the similar weather conditions are likely to continue with the widespread model. Faults maybe 20 another 20 to 40 millimeters today um, with the localized heavier falls uh, possibly reaching 70 to 90 millimeters again today uh, in uh, across the northeast and central east and the central and the northern inland parts of the state today and either in the form of a training showers or thunderstorms or maybe with this uh, possible severe thunderstorms, and the uh, severe thunderstorms uh, in the west uh, that may devel develop uh, about the central and the northern inland, inland this afternoon and the evening have an additional risk of hail and uh, uh, winds. And then 
uh, as the system moves to the northeast, so the focus of the rainfall area will also shift to the northeast quarter of the state and parts of the northern inland as well. So with that, uh, over those areas, maybe continued uh, rainfall figures, maybe widespread 20 to 30, localized 50 to, 7, 50 to 90 with storms or training of showers uh, in the northeast and part of the northern inland on Thursday into Friday as well. Uh, but um, the, the, uh, but the, these focus areas of uh, rainfall will be gradually shifting to the far northeast through, during the course of uh, this uh, later, uh, later week period. And then um, during the weekend, actually, the, this moisture is not completely uh, gone over because uh, the moisture will be actually returning again uh, with the development of another trough inland uh, that will feed the moisture from the subtropical region as well. So we may see another return of showers or thunderstorms in many parts, uh, maybe not as much as what we are seeing for today and uh, over the next couple of days, but uh, there will be some interesting development. And as this trough deepens further and becomes a low-pressure system over Victorian side and becomes mobile, uh, we may potentially see a, a bout of uh, you know, thunderstorms outbreak uh, maybe on uh, Christmas Day, you know, but it will be highly dependent on what the actual weather does, but uh, there is a, some chance that you know, the Christmas Day will be a, a day with uh, you know, severe thunderstorms in many parts, including the both capitals, Sydney and Canberra. So it might be a it might be a wet one. Sounds like there's quite a bit of rain around there. Is there a chance of maybe some heavy rain and thunderstorms and maybe flooding? Yeah, that's right. Yes, so, so with this uh, continued uh, mod, uh, widespread moderate falls locally heavy uh, in many parts in the north uh, northeast and central east and. Uh, uh, inland plains, uh, there may be some uh, risk of uh, river level rises as well. Maybe some isolated miners uh, in some parts of uh, uh, in some parts of the river systems in the northeast. Um, at this moment, we don't have any flood watch products, but if that happens, probably. Uh, you know, isolated miners, I, I would say, um, and there is may, maybe a risk uh, for such river level rises at places like uh, Bellinger, Nambuka, and Guaida, uh, Pilnamoy, and Macquarie, and, and so on. But again, watch this space, and, and as the rainfall gets actually heavier than our prediction, then we may potentially end up issuing, you know, either flood watch or minor flood warning. So at this moment, a bit early to tell, but watch this space. Okay, and it sounds like there is more rain set to uh, go on those fire grounds at the Pilliga, so that's good news there too. That's right, yes. Uh, I mean, so far, uh, Narabrai received 28 millimetres of rainfall until 9am this morning, and the rainfall is steadily accumulating as well. And uh, we also expected, you know, the return of uh, these moderate falls uh, over, you know, northwestern slopes, uh, including Pelega area as well, over the coming days, at least for uh, today, at least into tomorrow as well. So this will certainly help uh, the firefighting effort uh, because it will wet the ground uh, and perhaps put put out some 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 of the minor fires around Okay, well, let's hope so. Fingers crossed. All right, uh, Juan, thanks for that. Yeah, my pleasure. It's 16 minutes to one on the country hour. Well, the, uh, the interest rate on the government's new drought ready and resilient fund is way too high, according to the National Party leader, Dougal Saunders. He says uh, in a supplementary estimate hearing last week, 
The National Party leader said that he found out that uh, Labor's new $250 million drought ready and resilient fund will have to be paid back at a rate of uh, 6.6% for a five-year loan and 7.2% for a 10-year loan. And you can only borrow up to $250,000. He says the National Party scheme of the Farm Innovation Fund was 2.5% over 20 years and up to a million dollars in loans. He says it's uh, less support for farmers that has to be paid back much faster and with a heck of a lot more interest. Yeah, look, it is. And if you compare what's being offered now to our original Farm Innovation Fund, which had a billion dollars on offer at a 2.5% fixed interest rate, over 20 years, that was a really good deal and that's why we've seen it being so popular and so well utilised. We've now got a quarter of that money, $250 million up for grabs. If you take it over five years, you're up to 6.6% and if you take it over 10 years, 7.2%. So it's a far cry from what's been on offer uh, and I guess what I'd suggest to people is if you're looking at making your farm business more resilient, use what is remaining in the Farm Innovation Fund, which has been rebranded as the Drought Infrastructure Fund, although there's no more money put in there. But there is still just over $112 million in that fund as of December 1. And I'd be saying if you're looking for a way of making your farm business resilient, that is the funding to be applying for. Yeah, well, that's what the Minister is saying. She's saying that fund is still available, but this is this uh, $250 million is extra money that they've, that they've found to, to put into, into um, other drought measures or drought assistance measures. But uh, you're saying that the interest rate what, uh, is what, uh, way too high. And she, she was saying to me when I asked her about it what the interest rate would be, she said it would be treasury... Uh, tr- at treasury rates so maybe treasury rates are just that higher at the moment well they definitely are higher but there's an extra percent being added on to those as well anyway and you know the purpose of funding like this is to provide meaningful support and as you well know i've been calling for that support since the new south wales farmers conference back in july and it's taken until i think november this announcement was made sort of undercover of night, no actual interest rate provided until we asked some of the public servants at budget estimates uh, a week and a half ago to find out actually where the interest rate would sit. And of course, it does have to be linked to something, but you, you can't make it completely unaffordable and out of reach and add another percent on top and expect people will do it. It just it isn't going to make sense for many people because they won't be able to afford to pay it back in either five or ten years' time. It's, it's going to be too hard. But I guess the thing is, if you're paying it off that sooner as opposed to the other fund, which is over 20 years, then you are going to have to pay uh, higher interest rates. If you're going to have interest rates that are literally prohibitive for people to be able to take advantage of the money, why put it up on offer in the first place? It's, it just doesn't make sense. They should have been given a bit more thought to how this could actually meaningfully work for people on the ground. And, you know, people are going to sign up, get stuck with a loan that they've got to pay off at a higher interest rate and be in even bigger trouble. So I I just don't think it's a way of helping in the same way that the Farm Innovation Fund has been there and has literally made hundreds and hundreds of businesses right across our state far more resilient than they ever would have been. But we have heard that there are some people who have already signed up. I think there's a couple of dozen already signed up for this deal. Look, I guess some people will have capacity for specific things that they need for their business and figure they can pay it off. But honestly, at the moment, people talk about the the need for meaningful help, but without burying themselves in a debt that they can't recover from. And 
This, to me, is a debt that many will not be able to recover from if they sign up for it. And I think you'll find by you know mid-next year there won't be too much interest in this fund because it'll simply be too difficult. You know, 6.5% or 7.2% is a high interest rate to be paying and you've got to pay it off in either 5 or 10 years. Michael, I just don't think it makes sense and I don't think it'll be helping people out. And the opposition, you also have some concerns about the Central West Arana Renewable Energy Zone and the announcement there? Well, look, obviously the, the news today that it's actually been uh, officially signed over to a, a network operator, and that's uh, uh, ACE Res will be taking over um, from Energy Co in that scenario. And look, I'm looking forward to working with the CEO, Trevor Armstrong. I met with Trevor and some uh, members from Energy Co a couple of weeks ago in Parliament, and I guess the thing that, that I wanted to stress for him as they look at taking over the res is that there does need to be ongoing proper discussions with individuals, community groups right across the central West Tirana res because there are still concerns from people about you know the fact that they're not being properly involved, they're not being properly consulted. And I think it's fair to say Mr Armstrong really understood that. He's committed to making sure that People on the ground who are part of the project build are actually going to be the points of contact for this. And look, the other thing that I've this concept of the Central West Arana Res is that if we're going to host all of the renewables in regional areas, there needs to be a benefit to those regions. So again, I've put forward to Energy Co many, many times over the past three years. I've mentioned it now to the ACEO, is that there needs to be a shared benefit scheme of some sort for people living near large-scale renewables and transmission lines. To me, that could include solar and or batteries at people's homes and or subsidised power. I mean, if we're hosting all the renewables, there needs to be a deal in place where not just residents but also businesses are incentivised and get cheaper power. Now, I've been talking about it for a while. I want them to come up with the best solution and let's get it moving. Dougal Saunders there, the head of the National Party in New South Wales. Now, we did seek a response on that interest rate issue being too high in the Drought Ready and Resilience Fund from the Agriculture Minister, Taro Moriarty, but no response as yet. It's coming up to 10 minutes to one. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The Country Hour on ABC Radio, New South Wales. Getting some response to that story. Ed's texted in saying the Drought Ready Fund interest rates are too high and the rule that the money is required to be spent within six months is ridiculous. And Ed also lets us know that uh, there's been excellent rain in the Inverell region and uh, wishes everyone a Merry Christmas, as does Rodney from Lake Cajeligo. Only five millimetres there, but he says all the best for Christmas and the new year. And um, Dylan's texted in 101 millimetres to uh, in the 12 hours to 8 a.m. this morning uh, west of Armidale and uh, 55 millimetres fell in 20 minutes. It's the heavi- heaviest fall since 76, says Dylan. Uh, so, yeah, there's some of those rainfall figures coming through at the moment. It's uh, coming up to uh, nine minutes to one on the country hour. 
or when you drive around the country roads at Christmas time, there's always a decorated mailbox or a hail bale, hay bale around the place to put a smile on your face. But near Gunnedah, some farm kids have started a new tradition, building wooden Christmas trees to put along their road. It was born out of the 2022 floods, and rural reporter Lara Webster took a trip herself to meet the little people that are spreading some extra joy to their neighbours. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go My name is Rosie Galton My name is Pippa Galton My name is Elsie Groves My name is Grace Groves And who have you got beside you, Grace? And Alice is beside me Prue Galton Kate Groves My mum is part of the wood turners here in Gunnedah and one of their jobs was to collect and clean out a shed uh, from a deceased estate. So she got a heap of wood, it was all going to go to the tip and instead she brought it out to our house in order to make Christmas trees as a family. However, the floods did get in the way and we had quite a few families staying with us over the floods and we needed a project to keep everybody busy. So we created lots of trees to share around the neighbourhood with our neighbours. How has it grown in that, well this is year two now? We collected all the trees back from a majority of the neighbours that we distributed to last year, stored them all, all the Christmas lights and we've redistributed them as far as we could um, from our farm and our neighbouring farm um, to the north and the south of us. And we've also put on extra lights and we've found extra solar bits and pieces and decorations as well to try and make our road as Christmassy as possible. (laughs) Tell me about you too, Prue, your involvement. Yes, well, like Kate said, we were fortunate enough to be able to stay straight across the road with Kate and Nat Groves during the floods. Um, And the kids, I don't think, knew that there was a flood going on outside of the levee bank because they were so involved in making these Christmas trees and creating all the Christmas trees themselves. They pretty much did all the trees themselves with a little bit of help from adults with drilling and stuff. Um, So, yeah, just to see all their creations come together and then the excitement of them all loading them into the trailer and then going along to everyone's driveway and, yeah, putting them all out for not only themselves but all of the families along our little stretch of Orange Grove Road. So who learnt how to use a drill? Oh, There's lots of hands going up here. Everywhere. And what else did you learn how to use? Um, well, we learn how to use lots of different tools and we got to have a little bit of fun with making them. What was your favourite tool? Well, probably the drill. Yeah. The drill? Yeah, the drill. Yeah. yeah. And what about you? What else did you love about well, putting all this together? Well, we loved how, even though we had our own one, we joined and helped everyone. And for our road, making more for other people for to decorate our road. How much did your neighbours and friends love seeing what you created? Well, they really loved the part where... With all the lights on it to make our own little Christmas street, Santa street. It's a Santa street. What's it like having your own 
Santa Street. Yeah, it's fun driving home in the night and seeing all the lights. Um, and the other thing we did is we upcycled all the wood that was going to be thrown out and used for nothing and made it into our own street. Riding in a trailer was fun. Why? With what? the dogs. Oh, was that the best part in the trailer with the yeah. dogs? Yeah. <laughs> and what else did you help do as well as being the trailer rider? What else? I helped make the Christmas trees. Do, do you guys have favourite Christmas trees? Mm. I really like Elsie's and I's because we found like little bowls and for presents to put under the wooden trees, but they were still wood, but to make into presents. Wow, and so what do some of the other trees look like? Well, Cooper made one that was really cool. It was um, 3D. 3D? Yes. Wow, that's getting fancy. And they're all different shapes and sizes and everyone, everyone's Christmas trees were unique. Were unique. Wow, what about any favourites for you? Um, no, my favourite thing was probably like meeting the Galtons in the floods and going close to them. And mine, I like mine the best. You like your tree the best. Can you tell me about your tree? What do you like best? Um, the light. The lights. What kind of lights do you have? What kind of colours? Red, orange, green, green, blue, yellow, yellow. Wow. Do you think Santa's going to enjoy yeah. the Christmas? Yes. yes. Yeah. He's going to see them. <laughs> he is going to see. He's going to be able to find you. Yeah. Oh, he'll know where to leave the presents. And we got a reindeer on the top of our sign. And wow. Where do you think the tradition will grow? We've got. A whole band of helpers here who are keeping Christmas spirit alive. Where to next, do you think? Do you think it's going to get bigger? I think so. I feel like more neighbours will start to hopefully get involved and we might be able to try and make some more trees uh, so that we can spread the joy a little bit further each year. Just seeing the joy of everyone's face when they drive down the road and see some decorations all up and getting into the Christmas spirit because you can quite often just get so busy on the farm that things sort of just continue day to day so you just got to make time and yeah enjoy the good times Gunnar mums and farmers, Prue Galton and Kate Groves, along with their very industrious little girls, ending that report from Lara Webster. Let's go to markets. <laughs> And to Mossvale Cattle. Good afternoon, Michael. There was only 102 head for the last sale of the year, made up of some outstanding high-yielding yearlings to suit the trade, selling from 288 to 376, along with a few runs of yearlings going to the feedlot or returning to the paddock. The steers made from 190 to 286, and the heifer portion averaged 245. There was still some keen interest for the limited supply of weaners from the restockers, steers 250 to 295, and the heifers 210 to 306 cents per kilo. I'd like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and all the best for the new year, and we'll be back on January the 10th. This is David Kent at Mossvale for MLA. Thanks for that, David. And I think that is our uh, last market uh, of all the markets for this year. So back in January, you're listening to The Country Hour. It's coming up to news time.